We are in part five of our Ephesians series. Are you guys ready? Part five of our Ephesians series, we're looking at a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to you and me, and it's one of the most important letters that was ever written in the history of humanity because it is God's word through Paul to you and me about who we are and what we are called to do, who we are and what our purpose is. In fact, the tagline for this sermon is, and for this entire series is, when you know who you are, you know what to do. And so today we're going to discuss and explore the most important aspect of your life, wherever you are in life, the most important aspect of your life is your relationships. Turn to somebody and say, we're going to have a relationship talk today. Relationship talk. Okay, some of you are more eager to have that talk than other people are eager to have that talk. Uh, What the Apostle Paul says in this letter about relationships is so profound uh, and so powerful. And I'm going to just give you one line from, from the from the text at first, and then we're going to dive a little deeper. But I want to give you this one line because this sets everything up. Uh, and, and he says something that is profound for us here today, but at the time that it was written, it was absolutely radical and revolutionary. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Submit to one another, he says, out of reverence for Christ. How do we relate to each other? We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what's interesting is that this word submit, it doesn't, it's not a passive word. It means to actively, hupotasso is the Greek word. That means put yourself, orient yourself, place yourself under. Put yourself below someone else so that you can reach up and serve them, so that you can esteem them, so that you can honor them. I was at Tower Grove Park a couple years ago, and I was there by myself. I was waiting to perform a wedding, and I was waiting for the people that I was going to officiate the wedding. They were going to come to Tower Grove Park, and I was going to do the wedding there. And so I'm standing there at Tower Grove Park. I'm by myself. I look across way off in the distance, and there's a couple. And this couple are talking to each other. And I don't know what about them caught my eye, but I just happened to notice them. And so they're talking to each other. And there's really nobody else at the park, just me and then across the pond, this other couple. So I'm kind of watching them, just like observing, casually observing. And then the guy does something that really caught my attention. I'm just watching them. And they're standing there talking face to face. And suddenly the guy does this. And I'm going, whoa. There's a proposal happening right now. The guy does this, and he pulls out this ring, and he does this, and I'm watching from all the way over. The girl goes like this, and she kind of pulls him up, and then they hug, and they kiss, and they embrace, and they're smiling, and they're laughing, and and I'm sitting there going, I just watched something that nobody else got to see, just me. And, And in fact, I thought, you know what? They probably want that moment captured. So I go trucking across around the pond, and I'm not across the pond, that would be... Um, but I go trucking around the pond and I go, hey, you guys, you want me to get your picture? And they're like, yeah. So I take their picture and they're smiling and they're beaming. It was a beautiful moment. It was a beautiful moment. I'm the only one that got to see it. Now, I don't know anything else about this couple. I don't know if they ever got married. I don't know if they, if they got married, if they stayed married. I don't know if they stayed married. Are they having a good relationship? Are they living happily ever after? I don't know. All I know is that when that guy wanted to indicate to that girl that they wanted that he wanted to have a lifelong relationship with her he 
indicated it by doing this. He hypotasoed. He put his knee down and said, I want to serve you. I want to be willing to sacrifice for you. I want to look out for your best interest. I want to do things for you that are going to enhance your life and that are going to be for your good and they're going to help you. I want to serve you. I want to get married to you, right? Isn't it fascinating that when we enter into a relationship, a lot of times we enter with this mindset, but then after a little while, we're not necessarily kneeling in submission anymore, but we're standing on our rights after a while in some relationships. We start wanting to, we start wanting to uh, um, stand up for what we think is good for us without respect to necessarily what's good for the other person. And this is what disentangles relationships. This is the problem with relationships is that they start off with this attitude of like, yeah, I, I, I want to love you. I want to take care of you. I want to look after you. And then over time, sometimes they, they stop doing that. I, I would love for you to write this down. The greatest joy and the greatest sorrow you will ever experience in life is in the context of your relationships. The greatest joy and the greatest sorrow that you will ever experience in life will be in the context of your relationships. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a very relational person. So if Rebecca and I get into an argument, which we did like, it was like six years ago, right, babe? I mean, it was like a long time. No. If we ever get into an argument, I find it hard to kind of move on with other stuff until I resolve this situation between my wife and I. If we get into a spat, like I can't concentrate on other stuff until we resolve that, right? Some of you are like, oh yeah, I can move right on. But no, I gotta, I gotta like get that. Or if, if, if there's something, if there's friction between me and my sisters, I need to kind of get that situation ironed out before I feel comfortable moving on. Or if a member of my family or one of my brothers or sisters in Christ and I'm having a, you know, a conflict with them, I gotta get that smoothed over before, before I can move on because relationships are vitally, vitally important to us and so much of our life is intertwined with our relationships. All of our joy, our greatest joy and our greatest sorrow is intertwined with the nature of the relationships. It's not just me. If you think about the happiest time in your life. Think about right now the happiest time in your life. How old were you? Maybe you were in high school. Maybe you were in college. Maybe you were a kid. Maybe you lived here. Maybe you lived somewhere else. Just in your own mind. You don't have to share it with anybody. Think about the very happiest time in your life. Maybe it's right now. Maybe it's right now in this service, right this moment. You're having the very happiest moment in your life. Whatever that is, if you got it in your mind, just chew on that. Think on it for a minute, right? Now, I don't know everybody here, and I don't know, you know everybody's life story, but what I'd be willing to bet is that the happiest moments of your life were characterized by healthy relationships. You were either having a good uh, relationship with your family, or you were in a good romantic relationship, or you were in a good relationship at work, things were going well, or you were having a good relationship with people at your school. The happiest time in your life is when your relationships are healthy and strong. The worst times in your life, some of you have Memories of the very worst times in your life. And it's when there's the most tension and the most discord and the most dysfunction in your relationships. When your relationships are bad, your life is bad. When your relationships are good, your life is good. You could be broke and have good relationships and you've got a good life. Everything that you experience in life is contingent upon the nature and the health and the well-being of your relationships. The problem, however, with relationships, and I don't know if you noticed this, the major flaw in relationships is that they involve another person. 
That's the problem with relationships. It's not just you. It's got to be somebody else and you, right? I mean, isn't that the source of all relational conflict? The fact that it's you and another person and your interest is your interest and their interest is their interest and your interest and their interest don't sync up. That's the, that's the source of conflict for every single relationship. The problem with relationships is that it's not just one person. And the, the truth is, even if it was just one person, you don't even get along that well with yourself at all the time, right? Sometimes you don't even like yourself. You don't even, you don't even, you don't even, you know, appreciate what your own self is doing. So you've got your stuff, they've got their stuff, and you're bringing these two things together, and so things aren't working out right all the time. And I'm talking romantic, I'm talking family, I'm talking job, I'm talking friends, I'm talking every aspect of life, right? The problem is that it can't just be one. I don't know, um, you know, we got people from all, all ages and all backgrounds. I'm a child of the 80s, right? And there was a song that came out when I was a kid that I think captured the nature of the problem of relationships. And that is, it doesn't take one to make a thing go right. Rob Basin and, and DJ Easy Rock kind of put it like this. See if you recognize this. Go ahead and play that and see if you, you recognize that. Anybody? There's like, there's some nods. How many does it take? Ernest and I are going to like kid and play up here. You want to do it? Um, we still got it. We still got it. It doesn't, it doesn't just take one to make a thing go right. That's the problem with relationships, right? That is the difficulty with relationships is that I've got my interests and you've got your interests. And those two interests don't always align. Today I'm going to title my sermon, It Takes Two to Make a Thing Go Right. Here's why there's conflict in relationship. Every single one of us, from the time we were born, our primary interest is ourself. That's our primary interest in life. I, from the time I was born, have felt that I, my needs, my desires are more important than anybody else's. Now, as you get older, you learn that's not the case. But when you're born, that's your natural tendency. If you don't believe, children don't have to be taught that. If you don't believe that children are born with this innate desire to take care of themselves, then you should babysit my one-year-old for 24 hours and see how much she cares about your needs. Because she's not interested in how much you're sleeping. She's not interested in, in how focused you are on that email you're trying to send. She's interested in, I want to be picked up. I want to be fed. I want a bottle. I want to have my diaper changed. I want, I want you to take care of me right now, right? That's just innate, right? Is that each one of us has this in, in, inborn self-interest. We desire the best interest of ourselves, And so the relationship is hard because that other person always desires the best interest from, uh, of them. And so how do you make this thing work, right? So this has been the greatest problem throughout history, anywhere on the planet. The greatest problem has been how do we make relationships harmonious and peaceful among people? This has been a greater problem than natural disasters, than earthquakes, than tornadoes, than landslides throughout history. Throughout the millennia, the greatest problem, the greatest challenge on the planet is how do we get along with each other? How do we interact with each other? How do we 
make it so that we're not hurting and harming each other. You read the Bible, you only get four pages in, one brother kills another. Right? It's from the beginning of time. You cannot, you can't, you cannot point to a larger problem on the planet than the problem of the way human beings treat each other. In our families, on our jobs, with our parents, with our children, in our friendships, in our actions, cross-culture, you name it. The biggest problem. So the biggest question that human beings have tried to wrestle with throughout time is, how do we make relationships harmonious? How do we do this? And theologians and philosophers and thinkers and scientists and social scientists have worked very, very, very hard at trying to come up with various formula that would help us to get along better, right? Uh, about 380 years before Jesus was born, there was a, a well-known scientist and philosopher. His name was Aristotle. And Aristotle was smart. He had a lot of good ideas about a lot of things. But one of the things that he tried to tackle was this question. How do we make it so that people get along with each other? How do we organize our relationships so that there's harmony and peace, right? And he thought that he had found the secret sauce. He thought that he had come up with the exact right formula that if you apply this formula to relationships, you're going to have peace you're going to have harmony. And in Aristotle's mind, that had to do with inferiority and superiority. In Aristotle's mind, he saw the world as some people are inherently, by nature, superior to other people. And so the way to make everything work is to get the superior people in charge so that they can command and rule over the inferior people. Because if the superior people rule the inferior people, then, hey, everything's great, right? In fact, I'm going to read you, well, what he did was he divided it up. He divided our relationships up into three categories. Marriage category, this is the husband and wife category. The uh, parental child category, how you get along with your family members. And then your employment or work category, so bond servants and masters or, or employers and employees. And so Aristotle said, here's the way we do it. We figure out who by nature is superior and who by nature is inferior and then we make sure that the superior people are ruling. Now, if Aristotle were here today, and I read you what I'm going to do, read you what he wrote, he would need to come in disguise because somebody might throw a shoe right upside of his head for saying what he's about to say. Here's what he says. This is Aristotle. This is 380 years before Jesus. Of household management, he said, we have seen that there are three parts. One is the rule of a master over slaves, another of a father, and the third of a husband. He said, a husband and father rules over wife and children. This is a position of dominance and domineering. For a king, he says, is the natural superior of his subjects. You see where he's going with this. Although the parts of the soul are present in man, woman, child, and slave. Now he's going to talk about how much soul you have, how much of a human being you are. He says, although they are present, they are present in different degrees. He says, the slave has no deliberative faculty at all. The woman has, but it is without authority. The child has, but it is immature. Then he, gets, then, he gets, then he gets really, really deep. He shouldn't go here, is what he says. The courage of a man is shown in commanding of a woman, he says, in obeying. And there's, there's some angry, there's some anger. Silence is a woman's glory. He says, look, here's his worldview. Here's his, this is the worldview into which the Christians were, were, were born. There are inferiors and there are superiors. And most of the early Christians would have fallen into the inferior category. And the trick to making relationships work is for the superiors to rule over, lord over, command over, dominate, control 
the, superior, the inferiors. That was the worldview into which the Christians were born. And that, that was the Greco-Roman worldview. Aristotle was the biggest name. Aristotle's word was, was taken as, as fact, right? So throughout the first century, throughout the Greco-Roman empire, this was the dominant worldview. There are superiors and inferiors, and if you understand the hierarchy, everything's going to work out right. Then comes along this guy who's a blue-collar worker. He works at a carpenter shop, and he's from this little town out of nowhere, and he starts talking, and he starts saying, "Um, I have a different perspective on that. The first, he said, shall be the last, and the last shall be the first. He said, the humble shall be exalted, and the exalted shall be humbled. You want to talk about kids? Except you become as a little child, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. He said, if you want to be truly great, if you really want to be great, then you've got to be the servant of all. He said, I'm flipping this worldview completely upside down. I'm going to mess with your dynamic. I'm blowing this this worldview out, out of the water because the way it actually works is that there's one father and God of all, And everybody, if you want to talk about superiority, that's the superior. And everybody else is equally brothers and sisters under the charge of the father who made them. So the lowest beggar is is by nature just as important and just as valuable as the highest king. He comes in and blows. And then the apostle Paul takes Jesus' message and he turns to Aristotle. This is going to blow your mind. He turns to Aristotle's categories and he says, Aristotle, I'm going to take Jesus's worldview. I'm going to remix your categories and I'm going to apply Jesus's worldview to your categorical tracks and I'm going to come out with a different song. And it doesn't sound like the song that you were singing. Look what he does in Ephesians chapter five. He takes Aristotle's categories and he says, I'm going to revise these statements that you make about these three dynamics. He says, first of all, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're going to start with that. Then he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, sacrificed his life for her. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but Bring them up. That the, the actual word there is feed them, nourish them, nurture them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And then he says something radical. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and he shows no partiality. He says, I'm going to take your categories, Aristotle, and this Greco-Roman worldview. Remember, these people are living in Ephesus. They're living in the Roman Empire. And he's saying, I'm taking the worldview that all of you, all the culture has espoused, and I'm, and I'm putting something else into it. I'm putting something else into the mix. I'm bringing Christ's mission into this mix. Now, you read that, and you go, okay, I get that, right? Okay, so we're all equal under God and we're to serve one another and submit to one another and sacrifice to one another and honor each other and work you know, for each other and look after each other and all that. I get that, right? But that doesn't undo the major problem in relationships and the major problem is that it still takes two to make a thing go right, right? So the major problem is what if I am sacrificing 
and she's not serving? What if I'm serving and he's not sacrificing? What if I'm at my job and I'm working my tail off and my boss is undermining me? My boss is coming down on me. What if I'm trying to honor my parents and my parents are acting like children? What if I'm trying to nurture my child and he's flipping me the bird and telling me to buzz off and he don't want to talk to me, right? It takes two, Paul. I love your, your theoretically, I love what you're saying, but, but it still takes two, right? So how can we do this, Paul? I don't know if this helps me. I don't know, Paul, because, because you're telling me to do all this, but what if he doesn't do it? What if she doesn't do it back? What if they don't do it? What if they don't reciprocate what I'm doing, right? There's a, there's a concept I was reading about this week, a concept called mirroring in the social sciences. It's like um, complementary behavior. And, and basically, it goes like this. If I come up here and I, and I smile at you, if I go like this, right? Some of you will smile back at me. The others of you don't love Jesus, and so you won't <laughs> smile back at me. But, but a lot of you will smile back to me. Um, no, and, and what, what, it, what they're saying is we, we exhibit complementary behavior. If somebody smiles at you, you tend to almost want to smile back to them. You know, you might be a little more curmudgeonly, and maybe you just kind of smile on the inside. But anyway, you, you, that's what you want to do. If somebody's rude to you, you just by nature want to be rude back. This is a mirroring concept. You just want to do, you can't help it, this is what you want to do, this is your nature. You want to do back to them what they did to you, right? You want to, you want to be kind to people who are kind to you. You want to be mean to people who are mean to you. If somebody compliments you, don't you find yourself going, like, let's see, how, what can I say about them? I like your um, teeth, they're very, they're very orderly and, you know, you're like, you're trying to come up with something. Turn to somebody and just compliment them, just compliment them on something right now. Do it. Just tell them some compliment. Compliment them. I like your hat, Tony. Isn't that nice? Don't you want to compliment him back? But the problem, Paul, is that this doesn't always work. The problem is sometimes I'm going to do something kind to somebody and they're going to return evil for good. So what do you want me to do about that, Paul? Well, I want to show you something that if you're not careful, you can zip right over on this passage. But if you pause and take a moment and drill down and, and, and see what he does, because what he does, I never noticed this before this week, how powerful and how emphatic he is about this. So I'm going to emphasize some, some words here and see if you catch what we're going to emphasize. He says this, submit to one another, not because the other person is awesome, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands, love your wives. Oh, sorry. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. You see what Paul is doing? Paul is saying, yes, it takes two to make a thing go right. But the two are not you and the person with whom you are interacting. The two primary persons in any relationship are not you and your boss. It's not you and your spouse. It's not you and your parent. It's not you and your child. It's not you and your colleague. It's not you and your friend. It's you and God. He's saying, I want to interject your relationship 
with God in every single relationship that you are in. Because you are primarily entering into a relationship with God through the medium of the relationship with the other person. Are you tracking with me? Are you following me? He's saying you are serving God through your service to your spouse. So whether your spouse reciprocates is not the the issue. Because it takes two to make a thing go right, but it doesn't take you and her or you and him. It takes you and God to make that thing go right. So you serve God through your service to your spouse. You serve God through your service at work. You, through, you serve God through the way you raise your children. You serve God through the way that you honor your parents. You, you serve God through the way that you treat your employees, right? He's saying, I want you to put God in the mix because this changes the entire dynamic. You don't have to worry about how somebody responds to you or how they reciprocate to you because you're not primarily interacting with them. They're secondary. You're primarily interacting with God. You're primarily bringing God into the mix of every single aspect of your life. And when you do that, that changes everything, right? You don't have to be, you don't have to be fretting about their response. You don't have to be fretting about how they're going to treat you. You're going to do your life as unto the Lord. You're going to live your life as unto the Lord in the way that you interact with other people. So what happens? When we do this, what happens when we bring God into the mix of every aspect of our life? The first thing is that your home becomes a house of healing. Your home becomes a place where mercy is extended, where grace is extended, where justice is done, where peace is, is, is given, where peace is received, where forgiveness is received where grace is received. When you're living as unto the Lord, when people are living as unto the Lord and they were doing their relationships as unto the Lord, their home becomes a sanctuary for healing. It becomes a place where you get to experience, you get to experience God's grace to you through the grace extended to you by your spouse. They get to experience God's grace through your extension of grace to them. The scripture says this, it says, in, in, or a little earlier in Ephesians, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. He's saying, look, you're, you're not forgiving somebody because they deserve it. You're not forgiving them because they merit it. You're not deserving them because, you're not forgiving them because they're worthy of it. You're forgiving them in light of what has been done to you, in light of the relationship dynamic that you have with the Lord. Some body here today needs to experience some grace in their home and they need to extend some grace in their home and need to receive some peace and they need to extend some peace and receive some forgiveness and extend some forgiveness because when we are doing living life and doing relationships the way God teaches us then we are serving others through our service we're serving God through our service to them so that's what it looks like in the home what's it look like in the workplace when God is in the mix your work becomes an act of worship. Your work becomes an act of worship. Anybody ever had a crummy job? Anybody ever had a crummy job? Man, I've had some crummy jobs. I have. I've had some crummy jobs. I had a job. I had a job one time. It was in a diner. It was not in a nice diner. It was in a crummy diner. It was a crummy, greasy, scummy diner. And I was working at this diner. And this is a diner where I was working on Saturday mornings and people would go out and they would just party all night on Friday nights, and then they would come stumbling into this diner, 
and they're all intoxicated, and they want their, they want their hash browns fried more crispy than we fry our hash browns at this greasy diner. And then they want, they want their bacon more done. And, and, you know, and I'm trying to serve, and I mean, I hated it. People are just being rude and obnoxious, and I'm trying to be like, hi, welcome, my name's Brent, I'll be your server today. Can I get you some, you know, biscuits and gravy? You know, it's like, and I hated this job, right? Because I didn't want to serve these people, because they were making me crazy, they were making me mad, they were being unkind, they were being rude. I remember I'd go into the bathroom, I'd get so mad, I'd literally have to go into the bathroom and just be like, okay, man, don't, don't throw anything, or don't kick anything, or don't get fired, or don't smash any windows, just, just you know. Right? I look back on it, and, and I see what was going on. God was saying, hey, man, I'm going to teach you a little something about humility. I'm going to teach you a little something about this. I'm going to teach you a little something about what it means to serve somebody and look out for somebody's uh, well-being when maybe you don't think they deserve it, and maybe they're not treating you reciprocally. Maybe they're not complimenting your you know, smiley face. Maybe they're, not, maybe they're not treating you the way you want to be treated, but I'm going to teach you something about how I want you to relate to me right? Through this greasy diner, right? Everything is an act of worship. When you become a follower of Jesus, every interaction that you have is an act of worship. Every job you take, I don't care if you're digging ditches or slinging hash or performing surgery or, you know, practicing law, whatever you're doing, it's an act of worship before God. Here's what, here's what he says. Here's what uh, uh, Paul says. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You are serving the Lord Christ. In every aspect of your life, you are serving God. In every interaction that you have, you're serving God. You know, you're delivering those crispy hash browns and you're serving God to a drunk person who doesn't care about you, right? <laughs> you're serving God. Here you go, Christ. I'm going to give you these hash browns. Number three is with God in the mix, your life becomes a light. Everything about your relationship with other people becomes an extension of your relationship with God. And your conduct and your behavior and your relationships start to reflect his glory, his light, his beauty, his joy, his purpose, his mercy, his forgiveness. Here's what Jesus says. I'm going to close with this. You are the light. You're the light. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So here's what I want you to do. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and they may give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It takes two to make a thing go right, but it's not you and the person that you're interacting with. It's getting that relationship right between you and God and then letting that relationship, that vertical relationship, spill out into the horizontal relationships with your spouse, with your colleagues, with your kids, with your friends, with your family, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's getting that relationship right. So let me ask you, what does it look like in your marriage if you get God right dead center in the mix of that marriage? Man, it changes stuff. You can't say some of the things that you would say. You can't do some of the things that you would do if God is not in the mix. But if God is in the mix and this person that you're living with is your equal and is your brother or sister in Christ beneath your Father in heaven, right? You got to treat them differently. You got to love them more tenderly. You got to serve them. You got to be kinder and gentler to them, right? Because you're serving the Lord, right? What does it look like if you get God in the mix at your work and you start 
you start serving God right in the mix of your work. And you've got a boss that's barking down your throat and you don't like this person. And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm serving Jesus here. I'm serving Jesus. I'm serving the Christ through this boss that I don't like. Right? Saying, I, I want you to get God in the mix of all these relationships because that's the only way it's going to work. It's the only way it's going to work. Your kids, your parents, whatever it is, whatever dynamic is, what does it look like if you get God in that? Then what does it look like if we collectively, not just you individually, as a family, as a church family, as a spiritual family, what if we say, God, we want you in the mix of every dynamic, every relationship, everything that we're doing here, are the ways that we interact with each other, the ways that we connect with each other, and the ways that we connect with the, the world outside, the community outside, the community on our streets, the schools in our neighborhoods. What does that look like? What starts to happen? What does that, imagine what that looks like if God is in the mix of everything that we're doing. And we're treating others the way that we would treat Christ if he were sitting right here in our midst, because he is, right? What happens is, peace begins to flow like a river out of this place. It becomes an oasis for the weary and the brokenhearted because they come here and they experience something. They experience the love of Christ and they don't even know what it is. Can't even, can't even pinpoint it. Don't even know how to describe it, but they're experiencing it, right? It means joy emanates out of this place. It means joy diffuses out onto the streets and, 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 and we begin to share the joy of Christ that is our strength, with the people around us, and they go, man, something's different, something's going on. I want this, right? Brotherly love and affection pervades the community around us, and we break down the barriers, and we destroy the strongholds. In this community between people, conflict starts to get broken down because we're now loving each other and serving each other in Christ, in Christ, despite differences, despite different ideas. We're serving Christ through our service to them, through our disservice to each other, right? It means that hearts are restored. It means that families are mended. It means communities are rebuilt. It means that governments are refashioned. It means that God is glorified in everything that we do. This This is the vision of Christ. This is the vision of Christ that all come together, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, in love towards one another, under Christ, serving one another, sacrificing for each other, caring for each other, loving each other, looking after each other, transforming the world, manifesting the kingdom on the earth, Christ's kingdom, through our love, one for another. DJ Easy Rock and Rob Bass got it right. It takes two. But it's not you and the person that you're with, or it's not you and your boss, and it's not you and your spouse, it's not you and your kid. It takes two. It takes you getting this right with God and then letting this emanate to everyone you meet. It takes two to make a thing go right. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for your presence here today. Thank you for your spirit in our midst. Thank you for your spirit in this in this theater. Thank you, Lord, for um, working in our hearts right now and and opening up opening up people's hearts, breaking open uh, old obstacles and old walls and and and, and 
old frustrations and old angers and, 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 and God penetrating that with your spirit and bringing hope and life and love and joy and peace into our hearts. God, I pray that, I pray that every single person here today would experience the joy of your love, the joy of your salvation in their heart. And that would animate them in their relationships with other people and they no longer would be holding grudges and they would no longer be angry and they would no longer have a chip on their shoulder, but they would be open, Lord, to receiving your love and then to giving your love to the person in their life that they're struggling with. God, I pray that relationships would be mended and hearts would be healed and families would be restored and children would come home. And and I, I pray, Lord God, that that, that the lost would be saved and those who are strangers would come in and they would become family right here in your presence today. And I pray ultimately, God, that in the midst of all of this, you would receive all of the glory and you would receive all of the praise and you would receive all of the honor through our actions, through our words, through our deeds. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.